What was the earliest in the morning that you had a drink? And I mean, like, when you've woken up and had a drink, mm, not like having a drink at four in the morning. I definitely, since I moved to Nebraska, there was one time I'm, I walked down to the U-stop at six in the morning. I think it was right when they could start selling. And I was there, like, to get a 12-pack of beer. And But did you drink 12-pack of beer right away? Not all of it, but I, I mean, yeah. I, you I started went, working on something. Absolutely. Went right back upstairs, popped it. Okay. Are we counting Irish Irish coffees in this thing? I mean, it's alcohol. I know, but I feel like Irish coffees is not even it's not even a legit alcoholic beverage just because I drink it. The amount of time to drink that just because I wanted to cure it. Uh, yeah, but I mean, let's be fair. Like, I don't care. But your reason isn't necessarily the okay, critical fine. part. Well, uh, okay. Well, in that case, it's been really early. Like, uh, there have been times where I've gone up at like five in the morning and had an Irish coffee. But I'm saying like the earliest I've had like a pure pour of like straight liquor was Ooh, nine, wait. Was, was nine in the morning. I think I, I once at like 8 a.m. went to do a shot of rum or something. Oh, and really? I remember being very unhappy about my decision. Oh, no, actually one time I do remember being out on the lake and, we, and I took a shot of Crown to get, to just blow through the hangover. Yeah. It, and it, for, and I, it did much, not work for me. <laughs> no, it, it worked for me, but that's because I started puking. So but there've been times where like, I would go to the gym at six in the morning, come back home, eat breakfast. And I was like, yeah, I'm in the mood for some bourbon right now. And I pour myself a nice little dram of VH Taylor. But you can't go wrong with the Colonel. No, Colonel Taylor is absolutely phenomenal. No, absolutely no matter right. what time of day it is. <laughs> or night. <laughs> or, or night. Yeah, no, it's, that's, I missed the Amaranth, but that was a one-off. No, they need to bring that back. Yo, E.H. Taylor, if you ever hear this, bring back that Amaranth. You right? won't. Yeah, you won't. This is a dare. You won't. Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day, and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkonomics, two bartenders, who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business, are going to sit down and drink to the global economy, and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Drunkonomics. This is going to be the last of an era. To yeah. be honest, this will be the last time we record together for a while and the last time maybe that we record here in Cigars Lounge. Yeah, well, you're making it really sentimental and it's making it kind of emotional for me. Well, so. no one likes a crier, Aaron. So I'm, of course, There's James. No crying in podcasting. No crying in podcasts. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm, of course, uh, your host, James, with me, as always, is... James's favorite drinking buddy, Aaron. That's true. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this is Drunkonomics. And this, this is Drunkonomics, yeah. I don't want to call this a show. I want to call it more of a display. But this is the, this is the display in which we uh, drunk yeah. in economics. Welcome welcome aboard. Yeah, it's kind of like a peacock, but not a peacock that's, like, good. Like a peacock that, like, lost a bet and has lost half of its its feathers to, like, quills and fancy stuff. So it's, like, it's doing its best, but everyone's like, oh, what's wrong with yeah, that peacock? Exactly. Um, <laughs> If you heard anything from our episode last week, the most important thing that uh, you need to really pick up on is there is a economics drinking game now. Anytime I say something along the lines of, but anyways, or any sort of transitional statement, it's shot time. And anytime I say something along the lines of, well, it's kind of like, and launch into a spurious analogy, take a drink. Yeah, it's shotgun time. For me, it's shots. For you, it's shotgunning. Yeah. Be be very worried, people. Yeah. Do not do this if you're driving. Do not do this if you are about to drive, because I'm yes. not entirely convinced it'll be legal. Exactly. We do not condone drinking and driving on Drunkonomics. Real quick, with that said, uh, shots. Ah. It's two shots before the mic is hot. I'm only one shot in right now, so I'm going to go refill on beer. Be right back. Yeah, you left your beer there. Top it off, top it off. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm back. All right, guys. I'm we're all topped, topped off. off. 
So today is kind of a conglomerate of an episode, as always. I didn't get very many questions this week. It was more of just like requests of what we should talk about. Yeah. Which, so we we saw we saw a few and we're like, you know what? Yeah, it's gonna be a good episode. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm open to ideas because, you know, I'm all out of them and I'm not very smart. But, uh, so I guess we start with a, a recap of kind of the last few days in the, yeah. in the market and the economy. Yeah. So recap, uh, as we talked about last week, Apple and Tesla, the two main media company or the two main tech companies that have really just been booing the S&P 500 and oh, it's uh, carrying the Dow. Pretty much yeah. every, yeah, pretty much ma- every major indice. I mean, they've been just bulldozing their way through to the record highs. They announced their splits today. And uh, now because of that, Elon Musk is now the third richest man in the world. He just surpassed uh, Mark Zuckerberg. I'd argue wealthiest, not necessarily richest, but I think that's that's a- uh, Sure, wealthiest. I mean, when I say rich, I mean- No, I know. I know, I know you're, not, you're not wrong. Right. It's just, it's semantics and I agree, but- yeah. Yeah, well, you're just too pretentious. Yep. I forget who you are, but you're right. (laughs) Exactly. So Tesla stock split today. I think I saw they were up 12. Was it 12%? They were up after the split? At one point, dude. Okay, you know, I'm going to pull up right now just because I don't want to be wrong on this. Or was was that They they closed up 12%. Yeah. Right. It was Um, was absolute madness. And then after hours, they're up 3%. Well, that just goes to show. So like, and so that tells us that the split was a probably a pretty good idea. It was unaffordable to the majority of buyers. Well, let me put it this way. I saw a tweet earlier today by a major social media influencer, how she was given this platform by everyone that follows her. I have no idea. And I don't know who it is. I don't know who this is because they blocked out her. Name when I when they reposted the tweet, but the tweet was essentially said this: Apple and Tesla stocks split today. What does it mean? Apple and Tesla stocks are on sale. If your favorite designer was on sale, you'd hurry up and buy. Keep that energy when it comes to investing. And I was like, yeah, I do. I do think I remember my finance professor saying something like that. I hate to say, all this makes me think of is um, that scene in The Big Short where it's just like, yeah, I think I remember Warren Buffett saying something like that. And one of the guys like, Warren who? Who's Warren Buffett? (laughs) You got a boat, you know, that kind of thing. And she's like, oh. No, it's like, it literally doesn't make sense. And, you know, will their stock have another fantastic day tomorrow. Who knows? Yep. But initially, yeah, it made whole shares a lot more affordable for a lot of people, mm-hmm. namely a lot of people on Robinhood or any sort of free trading platform to buy the stock. And because of that, there was just this rush of cash going towards Tesla and that just shot the stock price up. Apple, not so much, but I also feel like Apple, does, there's not that much growth in Apple. They've, they're already too big. They're already a $2 trillion company. Uh, they, they, got a, they have a lot of money and they aren't I don't see an acquisition on the horizon. I don't see any major investments on the horizon. Yeah, but their stocks still went up three percent today. So you know, well, you're not a loser if you if you hold Tesla or Apple right now. No, probably pretty happy. Yeah. Um, let's see what else did we want to talk? Oh, payroll well, tax holiday. Well, hold on. Before we get there, I want to say like you can buy fractional shares too. So. And that's the thing is I I think the fractional share purchases is going to make destroy the necessity of a stock split. I know, but. I think it's just like the announcement, the anticipation, the oh, sexiness yeah. of a stock split that makes it. There's something, I mean, there's something to it in terms of I own, a whole you, share. you go from owning 100 shares to owning 400 shares. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of making it more affordable for the investor with the marginal, with being able to purchase marginal sh- or fractional shares, yeah. that, that reasoning behind having a stock split no longer exists. I still don't quite understand how fractional shares work yet, but I'll get there at some point in my life. My, my guess is it's just a, a bunch of people pool money. 50 people agree to buy a 50th of Apple and my, my guess, town. Yeah, my guess is kind of like it's an ETF of one stock. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And that's probably the most accurate way to put yeah. it. Yeah. 
Uh, but anyways, now let's go to the payroll tax holiday because I don't know anything about this. Okay, so as of September 1st, so for us right now, uh, you know, as of 20 minutes ago, and for those of you who are in the United States, by the time you hear this, as of three days ago, four days ago, a payroll tax holiday was declared. So what does that mean? So what it means is that employers are not being required to pay to or to, to send to the IRS their portion of payroll taxes or your portion of the payroll taxes. So it's a holiday. It's not being forgiven. It's not that you're not going to have to pay these ever. It's just that you don't have to pay them until March of next year. So this payroll gives you tax. Is that like income tax? Or is so that's that- going to be that's your um, that's your Social Security and your Medicaid okay. or your Medicare. Uh, so, so essentially it's 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 your it's the payroll taxes. It's it's the ones you see on your check right, yeah. every, every two weeks or every period. Yeah. So on, on, on your check, there's a section that says payroll tax withholdings, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So what part like, like so you don't get your entire check because ha- a portion of that goes to portion that said, goes to these Medicare to, to Medicare and Social Security withholding. And so, yeah, so, that's right. so at this point, those are those are being there's a holiday. They're not being collected by the IRS. So this gives business owners kind of two options. And rather, you as the employer, they're supposed to offer you one of these two options. Is what I've been as how I've been reading this, and it's that you can either elect to to have these taxes withheld anyway, or you may elect to take the full amount of your money and not have them withheld at all. Now it's a holiday, so you're going to have to pay these eventually. So they're going to get what's theirs. Oh, absolutely, I mean. they're going to get their pound of flesh at the end of the year. That means that if you're if you're a seasonal employee, there's some concern that your last paycheck, if you're leaving a firm, because they're going to have to they're going to have to pay these payroll taxes. That they're just going to they might have to withhold half your up to half your check to to cover those all in one fell swoop. That in this that what you'd see is more money now and less money in the future. You can see the same money same amount of money now and the same amount of money in the future. Absolutely. So kind of the way I look at it, because it's not going to be forgiven. My view is when I when I talk about I'm not going to have them. I'm going to keep paying mine. Yeah. Pretty, I'm going to have them withheld because it's just I, I don't want to have to deal with that in the spring. Yeah, and it's pretty clear why this is a thing. Well, you know, I don't quite. I mean, you don't disagree with it inherently. I mean, you have the option to. do Yeah, it the I, option I find the option interesting. It. I think that it needs to be explained to people what that option means. Um, hence the reason we're doing this. Uh, for me, I can understand why maybe it would be good for the business owner to be collecting them from their employees and then not having to pay them to the IRS until next year. Things are tough for a lot of small businesses. So having that excess cash yeah, well, it's on also, hand could be useful. It's also a very slippery slope and it's kind of dangerous. Well, I mean, it's also like, I mean, you're also relying heavily on future expectations, mm-hmm. revenue expectations to meet the ability to fork it over the payroll taxes at a future date. You know what I mean? It's, so, it's, I mean, it's, the fact yeah. that there's an option is, I think, good. But at the same time, it's, you know, a lot of people are just going to be like, oh, more money now? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's like delaying homework that isn't due till next week to this weekend. Like, I could I could do my homework now just because my professor has set the date back a few days. Okay, well, when you say it like that, it's too detailed and it makes me think of someone I know. So stop doing that. Hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's payroll tax holiday. Uh, in case you guys didn't know, you apparently have the option to yep. collect more money now and pay the taxes at a future date. Make it up later, um, yeah. Yeah, it's just so... Just trying just to make that aware. Yeah, just trying to make that known to you guys because you know I want all you junkies to let you know prepare your your financial decisions. If you have like a steep credit, if you have a steep credit card bill this month, and it's something that's maybe it would be a good idea might, for you. It might behoove yeah. you. Um, if you're in a position where because of COVID or other things that you just need more money now, yeah, this is this might be the best bet for you. Now it's it's it could be problematic in the future, but you know it that's. Yeah. It's like when you're drinking. It's it it can be a great time to have that next drink, but you might be paying for it tomorrow. Yeah, shots, shots, shots. Anyone? E- yeah. Get on him. Yeah. But anyways, moving on to uh, Jackson Hole. Mm. So, what is Jackson Hole? It's a city in Wyoming. Why are we talking about a city in Wyoming? Well, because the 
the so central banks of all the states apparently traditionally meet there. the federal reserve well it's the central banks of all the states and the fed yeah traditionally they go to the jackson hole and i'm not entirely i don't know why either but they go to well first of all jackson hole is absolutely gorgeous oh yeah no I, I that i understand like why Fantastic. they go i just don't quite understand how the people of jackson hole maybe feel about all these bankers showing up hey man the bartenders would probably like it one hopes Excuse yeah. me, do you have champagne here? I got whiskey and Budweiser. Nothing wrong with that. I don't care if you're mm-hmm. banking or if you're you not me banking. Though. I was going to say, whiskey and Budweiser. You had me at hello. I didn't yeah. realize I was at a palace. But anyways, they traditionally have this meeting there. It got canceled this year because- well, of, Yeah, they went, to, they went to Zoom. They canceled this year because of, because of some stupid pandemic that no one's ever heard of. Yeah, I don't know. Seems like a bunch of babies to me. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's a very serious thing. Totally. But so, yeah. So the results of this meeting are that we are backtracking on 40 years of uh, Federal Reserve policy where now. Mm-hmm. So historically, the Federal Reserve has it has two jobs. It's to keep inflation in check and to keep unemployment low. Historically, we have a, an inversion curve between the two of them, a relationship where if unemployment is low, inflation is high. And if inflation is low, or I'm sorry, and if unemployment is is high, then inflation is low. They make it sound um, like their job is actually really hard. Yeah, I know. Um, and and that's traditionally how how it's always been looked at. Uh, as of really the last decade, the last ten years of economic growth, what we've seen is that uh, even with unemployment hitting pretty serious lows um, historically, we haven't seen the inflation kick off in the way that it would expect it, it would be expected to. Now, historically, when employment starts to, or unemployment gets, starts to get very low and inflation starts to creep, there's the target rate. And every time inflation crosses that target rate line or starts to get into a position where the, the Fed goes, okay, no, infl- inflation's now exceeding what we want. They've ha- brought the hammer down on it very quickly by raising interest rates to slow that inflation. It looks like now what they're arguing is they want to start targeting average inflation rates. Yeah, so well, they're willing to let it be a little higher than normal for a little while, right? So they're going to let it go over what they expect for a little bit in order to um, help stimulate the employment or unemployment. Yeah, uh, well, so the target inflation rate now, as I'm Googling it, on the Federal Reserve website, target inflation rate is 2%. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought it was 3 so nope, I'm, it's, I'm, it's, I'm learning something new right now. It's 2 and and for the last... The last two, uh, 10 years or so, it's been, inflation has been stuck kind of, I shouldn't say stuck, has been set really between one and a half and two and a half percent, somewhere in there. Right, so we've yeah. never really seen it go. So average of 2%, right? Yeah. So how do they how do they do the average? Is it like kind of like a trailing twelve months kind of deal, or uh, I haven't seen how they're how they're planning to calculate that. They I don't think they've let that be. Yeah, they're just they're just saying we're looking at averages. Oh, they haven't. Even, so okay. they're willing to accept an inflation rate that is just a little bit that is higher than what they would I might ideally want. Right. So if they haven't said it, okay, well that's fair. I mean, if if you know what it is, if you know how they calculate it, because like if you look at like a beta of a stock, like there's two different ways to calculate it. There's like the moving average, uh, the last five years, but they do mm-hmm. it monthly that way or they do trailing 12 months that's how they calculate betas of certain Correct. stocks you know so i'm guessing it's probably one of those two ways yeah but my but guess is that no they idea. will as, as i see it it's it's that they i think it's a good thing um and i know a lot of people might might be surprised to hear me say that that it's yeah. that it's good that that's happening i think that the way the fed has gotten a little too involved um for my liking oh, I in, totally agree. in the economy and in, and in financial markets with its constant um movement uh, it's interventionism really it's 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 constant fluctuation of rates you know and and you sit here and and obviously bankers are still going to sit and look at um fed meetings and fed minutes to try and determine what the fed's going to do next yeah. but i think that if we were just let let some things ride let let, let the economy actually let the market actually regulate itself a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, exactly. And I personally a huge fan of this move just because it's like, hey, step back for a second. 
let the market and the nature of the market kind of take its course. Yeah. And if it sucks, then start intervening. Yeah. And if you intervene, I mean, it's going to create an instant impact. It's It seems to me the Fed has gotten a little too involved in in the, in the day-to-day. Yeah. And, and like, can the Fed lower or raise overnight rates like that? Yeah. Yeah. So a, as, as was proven in the beginning of the year. Exactly. So we saw an emergency I, meeting. We saw rates drop. Yeah. So my whole deal is like, until you see something where you actually need to intervene right away and you need to push that safety net, you need to like throw it out there underneath the economy really quickly. You can do that, but let it get to a certain point and then let it get to, you know. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when I was learning to drive and mom, I'm really sorry about what's about to happen. But um, if I was with okay. my mom, she would be sitting in the passenger seat and we were perfectly safe, folks. I, I wasn't I wasn't crazy uh, as a driver, sure. but I would be, do- and I'm, I just, ah, ah. Uh, you know that constant like panic and I feel like that's kind of how the feds oh, oh yeah like, you know what I mean when you're driving this when you're, yeah, when you're yeah. driving with your mom and your mom's just like car and you're like it's at a, it stopped at a light a quarter mile away yeah. I, I see it mom you know that kind of well, thing like they're trying to change lanes and they're like freaking out mm-hmm. or whatever yeah it's it's like I said sorry mom yeah. uh, but yeah, I'm not no, sorry it's, mom it's, it's, it's well my birthday's coming up so oh. My birthday is within a year from now. Holy hell, that was profound. I know, isn't it? <laughs> well, so your birthday is 9-11 and mine's 420, so that just... <laughs> Man, between the two of us, right? I feel like we're now, because we work together, we're now on some sort of like federal watch list. I know, exactly. And because uh, we talk about the guys in the hill a lot, there's no way we're making any friends out there. So that's okay. <laughs> Either I mean, that or we are. What if the guys at the Fed are like, those drunkenomics guys? Nailed it. I'd be really worried. I'll, I'll be honest. If that's what was happening in, in any of the halls of the Fed, I'd be like, hey, I'm uh-oh. all for it, man. Jeez. I mean, Give right me to us. We could we could always use a guest spot because yeah. nothing like becoming like a legitimate source of let information me, let me at tell some you this. point. Jerome Powell is welcome on this podcast any minute, anytime. Um, obviously, I don't know if we'd ever, I don't know if that, if this episode ever saw the light of day, but um, Dick Fold, same to you. Yes, Dick Fold, 100% of the time. I'll freaking meet you at five in the morning somewhere in Jackson Hole or whatever. And we know, and we know Aaron doesn't have a problem drinking at five in the morning. So no, fa- of- I don't know why I'm throwing him under a bus like that. Like I'm right down there hey, with him. Dude, seriously, who cares, man? Shots of Crown at five. Okay, not Crown this time. I- Anything other than Crown. Irish whiskey. It's two shots of Irish whiskey at five in the morning. Oh, yeah. No, I could be down for that. I'm freaking all about Irish whiskey. But uh, on the subject of uh, unemployment, so h- how does the Fed actually physically, like how do they actually manipulate those rates? So the Fed doesn't. Um, my understanding is the Fed is they they have mechanisms in place to measure inflation. And then they uh, they trust Bureau of Labor Statistics, BLS, to okay, come yeah, up sure. with, with, an, with a relatively accurate unemployment. Yeah, but the BLS also doesn't. Do anything for employment? No, but with it be, to be fair, it's not the government's job to to create jobs. It's the government's job to create an environment in which jobs, right, in which yeah. an economy can thrive so and normally, jobs can be created. Yeah, so normally lowering rates means you can borrow more money to pay more people. Technically speaking, that's well, you can really, borrow more money to expand a business that employs yeah, more employs people. Employs more people, which which is where you get the a little bit more complicated than that. Well, but, yeah, um, but that's it's, theoretically that's that's, that's the that is that is the simplistic. Keynesian yes. theory. Yeah, the very simplistic level. But like, so they don't actually have like a tool where they this Well, I mean, like they do have guys who sit, they do sit there and they have their own independent calculation because as we remember, uh, unemployment, the way we measure that, it's a, it's not a fantastic measurement tool. It's a, um, it would be like having like an oil dipstick that varies in length uh-huh. based on how much wiper fluid you have two things over, you know, two containers over. It's not the most how do, how accurate do they, how measurement. How do you measure employment? You, you, have a, you have a job. So it's, really easy, it's really easy to measure employment. How many people have jobs? 
Done. Nailed it. Unemployment, on the other hand, is you don't have a job. But you're looking. But you're looking. Or have looked in the last, is it what, two months? So I thought it was six. But and I thought, Six is a stretch. But it's, it's, it's you don't have a job, but you are actively looking. I think the term is the actively looking. So yeah. you're putting your resume out there. You're pounding the pavement, whatever it is you're doing. And that's how you determine unemployment. But it ignores... People who have just, it ignores the discouraged worker who's just stopped trying to find a job because there aren't any. And it ignores the people that, well, a spouse that stays home or a partner that stays home to take care of family, take care of family yeah. despite they're doing work that would cost money if you were to if send it was a these, hired out right, if it was hired job, out like you hired a babysitter yeah right so we don't value that we also we also don't include like black market stuff yeah drug dealers the drug dealers don't Guns, get counted towards employment dealers. but yeah. and, but I guarantee you that they are they are employing people it's yeah. not it's not necessarily I mean, the generally most of those safest have a, work most of those have a washing machine that somewhere well the smart ones yeah, yeah. the smart ones do at least and it doesn't count retired people too. Yeah, and well, the moment you retire, you leave the workforce. Leave the you're, workforce period, which means you're not counted as unemployed nor as employed. So it's but that's when you that's when you choose actively to leave the workforce. Yeah, but, to but leave. that puts you in the same category as discouraged workers. It does. So yeah. well, it puts you yeah, it puts you back into the general population, but not seeking work or needing. Right. Yeah. Work. So and then and then on top of that, when we look at unemployment, on even unemployment itself is broken down and stratified into different um, sections. So we have you know structural unemployment, frictional unemployment. Seasonal unemployment. Yeah. So let's elaborate a little bit more on that. Structural unemployment. There's something wrong with the economy, right? That's pretty much Yeah. Well, structural unemployment. Yeah. If there's very serious structural unemployment, then there's something very seriously wrong. So structural unemployment is the job that, that you did or the job that existed it's gone now. It's totally gone. So the Sears- It's not even that. It's, it could just be like, there's no money to pay you. Yeah, but the job's you know? gone. So the job's gone. Yeah. But for some reason, that, that job is gone and is not coming back. So it's like the- um, it's like we're a society that's gotten away from any having needing any kind of baskets woven. So the underwater basket weaver is really shit out of luck at this point. Yeah. But it's also like, you know, for instance, right now we're seeing structural unemployment. There's a pandemic going on. Well, uh, a lot of the inelastic goods, like the inelastic industries are the ones that are staying intact. Minus Tesla, apparently, and Apple, apparently. Yeah, weird. Yeah, weird. Um but I guess be, okay. So structural unemployment would be like the guy who installed asbestos in schools. Like he's he's not get, that job is gone. Yeah. Like the guy who whose job it was to put lead in paint. That that job is gone. Or now. the manager of a blockbuster. Absolutely nailed it. Low key, like that would have been such a fun college job. Oh yeah. You know, just to get free like free movies. That's what Quentin Tarantino <laughs> did. That's how he started. Like, out. I can see I can see Aaron blockbuster assistant manager right now. Hey, uh, ladies, so you want to come over to my house and watch Casino? It yeah. just came out on tape. It just came out <laughs> on tape, guys. And I'd be like raving about Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. And I'd start going back and forth like, oh, this black and white movie. Oh, it's Marlon Brando. He's best actor of all time. Just like snobbing it out. Oh, yeah. We basically do the same thing here, except Netflix hasn't gotten us fired yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's structural unemployment. Frictional unemployment and seasonal unemployment. I Let's start with I thought, seasonal because it's the almost fastest. one of the same thing, but whatever. They're, they're not. So seasonal unemployment. I mean, like they, they overlap a little bit, right? They, they, they can a little bit, okay. but, but we generally look at seasonal unemployment as like there's not a whole lot of a call. There's not a whole lot of call for like pool lifeguards in yeah, January exactly. in Nebraska. And there's not a whole lot of call for like ski patrol in like in Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, or oh, yeah, in sorry, Florida, yes. period, or or yeah. yeah, or Phoenix, Arizona. So that's that's like the seasonal is like you know your job only exists for a certain period of the year, and for the rest of the year that job just the job doesn't have a staying power of a full year. It's just sure, and it's like a lot of that's farming, right? You know, the seasons of farming, the seasons of hunting. I, I don't know if I necessarily 
lump farming in on that because there's there's a lot of maintenance work that goes into like actually doing well, like running sure a that, farm. Yeah, but, of course, but it's but yeah, I'd say like if you look at like yeah, but brand, I'm saying like you're not gonna like you're not gonna have a bunch of hired hands stacking hay bales for you in December. You know? What no, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, like so at like harvest time, you would have more. Yeah, you'd have a lot you'd more have people more on labor. The farm. Right. Than you would at, at yeah, that's like what, that's what I meant. Like and in between, it's, like it's so, yeah, so yeah, yeah, okay, I, I could see how that would be. But that's a guess. So if I'm wrong, let yeah, me know. no, there's a lot of call to have like the teenagers go out and husk corn, sure, yeah, or pick corn and stuff in um in summer, yeah, in, in like September. Well, I mean, but there's, lot, there's lot not of, a whole lot of call for that in January. Yeah, yeah. a lot of summer jobs. That's what people do. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's like the gift wrapper in December. Yeah. So that's so that's your seasonal. It's just the job is just it exists for a small period and then it's done. Yeah. Um, frictional. It's it's when you are in between work essentially is is the easiest way to explain it. Is I at some point I'm unemployed. I I am a I'm a bartender here at Cigars Lounge and then I leave to go to work at TD Ameritrade. And, and three days I'm not. There working are three yet. days where I am not employed by I, I haven't Four I days, left one and I haven't started the other. I am frictionally unemployed. Oh, but I but so so frictional unemployment is not inherently bad. It usually suggests that you are moving up in the world that you're you're switching to a different job and you're switching for a reason that is self-interested. So you're making more money but or it, you're like it, it could definitely be the other way around too, where you get fired from your awesome job because you know I don't know a pandemic hit and then yep. and then next thing you know you started doing decorative concrete yeah which is uh, no I suppose that's theoretically which, which is my other story from you know earlier this March you know yeah Aaron's got some great stories guys and we weren't fired from this job we, we were furloughed yeah but I wasn't I wasn't working this job so I started doing decorative concrete that's, and uh, held me over you should see the designs folks absolutely gorgeous not really <laughs> but hopefully they don't notice <laughs> I'm sure everything's fine I mean, yeah so, so yeah it, that's, it goes both that's, ways you know? that is frictional unemployment is that you are you've left a job at company a to go to a similar job or a different job at company b right or you've left company a and you intend to go to company b so that's frictional it's that you're so leaving obviously the most severe one of these is structural like absolutely that's, that's the one that the fed actually pays the most attention to i'm guessing yeah you'd have to um, you'd, you'd have to you'd have to worry about seasonal, structural yeah. a lot more seasonal obviously they have no control yeah well seasonal it. you'd look at and you'd go you know there's no way i can make uh, gift wrapping a permanent year-round thing yeah for so sure. there's, I mean, there, yeah. there are so many birthdays that's it. Yeah, you know? yeah. The Fed would become very concerned if there was a, if there was a serious structural problem. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. Anyways, the gold standard. <laughs> uh, back in the day when uh, you received a dollar, like I'm talking like 1800s. It wasn't even that long ago. Okay, yeah, it was like ni- up to like 1972, I think, or something like that. 72, yeah, 71, on, 72, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the dollar bill, it said this is a claim for a dollar yeah, this worth, is, of gold, worth of gold or silver. It can be exchanged for gold. Or, or yeah. silver, or silver. Y- yeah, or, was, well, a precious metal, a commodity. Yeah, so, and it says it on the dollar bill, but now if you look at the dollar bill, it's a claim it on It says it's just backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. Exactly. And J.P. Morgan said it really well. Like, not the bank J.P. Morgan, but the guy guy whose name was J.P. Morgan actually said- I mean, it's related. Let's be fair, folks. Yeah, it's related. Sure. But J.P. Morgan actually said, gold is money, everything else, currency, fiat currency included, everything else is debt or credit. Yeah. Okay. And he said that back in the day. Granted, it was really applicable to 1912 currency regulations, but- I mean, I, I would argue that the only thing that, I mean, if we're, if we're going to play that game and the only thing that really matters is real estate, and even then sure. it needs to be real estate that grows food yeah. because I've never known anyone who could eat gold. But I do know people who eat food. What do you know they eat food? Um, I don't want to out them like that. Okay. They might, you know, I, they I, might I, feel very strong. No, I respect you for that. Um, but anyways, the gold standard, why was there a gold standard? Uh, easiest. I mean, I guess the easiest way. 
I don't know. It's shiny. Should we just define the gold standard? What is the, what is it? Is, it's so gold standard was this idea that we were going to create a, a script currency. So the easiest way to do this is kind of to use the pound sterling as my as my base sure. example. So the pound sterling is really exactly what it sounds like. It's it's pound sterling. You used to be able to so essentially say um, uh, this is a pound, so sixteen ounces of sterling. So, yeah. so a precious metal. That would be your currency. It was both commodity and currency. That's actually also where inflation comes from. So inflation is this idea that you'd have a coin that would be, you know, at times of low inflation, when you had strong economy, the coin would be solid, solid gold sterling, or, or solid silver. Yeah. And then inflation came in was you didn't have enough of that metal to make the coin. Yeah, so you put some so you'd filler. put filler metals in, and that's where infl- That's where the term inflation originates. You have a coin of gold mostly filled with filler metal. But yeah, it's right? not, but it's not much gold, it's just, right? Yeah, so, it's just coated with yeah. gold. So that, and so that's, ladies and gentlemen, inflation, where it originated. Now it's, it started with, because uh, just people had gold, it's shiny. It's, I mean, there's a few things. It's, it's, it's malleable, easy to work with. It doesn't rust. It doesn't degrade. It's, it, it's scarce. There's a finite amount. And there's a finite planet, amount of it on the planet right. Earth that's accessible. Yeah, it's just, it's just, that just happens to be yeah. what people decided they, that, that particular ore right there. I like it. Let's yeah, do gold it. Gold is, I mean, it's, gold is literally a perception of value. Yeah. I'm well, well, to, well, it's everything in, in this world. It's, exactly. But, you know, a pound of gold, like, I don't know what the index is at. I'm guessing it's like 3,000. But it's like the mass populace has agreed that they would pay around $3,000 for a pound of gold. You know, if all of a sudden no one wanted to pay more than a thousand pounds for gold, gold would drop like crazy. But at the same time, the reason why the perception of value is there is because a lot of people kind of see it as something you could hedge. It's something that is a protection against inflation. Are you looking up the gold? I'm trying to look up the gold. Gold is right now, is it, is it just shy of 2,000 an ounce? Oh, gosh. Okay, I was way off. I thought it was way more than that. Whatever. I'm Okay, well, I don't, I don't really pay attention to pressure miles, so sue me. I only know? look at kind of gold as, generally speaking, as it's a hedge against the dollar. Exactly. It's, and protection, that, and it's a protection against inflation. Yeah, well, it's protection against the dollar and the dollar devalues, right? Gold tends to go up when the dollar goes down. Less true in the last 10 or 15 years, but historically has been the case. Yeah, usually when you see like, like if a bunch of rich people start buying gold, that's usually a sign that, you know, there might be some sort of inflationary period. Maybe that they're a little bit nervous and they're, and they're looking right. to hedge a, hedge a bet, not, not necessarily see the downside of an investment. So, we're, so that's where the gold standard starts. The gold standard starts with, you know, it's ancient civilizations who decided this is the precious metal. We're going to mint it into coins. That is going to be our currency. Then we get into 17th century, 18th century, and we sure. start to and we start to see that this idea that instead of coins themselves, which are heavy, right? So gold is quite heavy um, if you're carrying it in meaningful yeah, no quantities. No one wants to carry around. A bag and silver is the same thing. It's heavy. It's kind of hard to hide. And and if you know someone gets your purse and runs away with it, they've got all your money now. And you so you move to essentially a script currency. So. Paper, something written on fiat currency. So it's fiat currency, something that's easier to carry in large quantities and that represents that hard commodity. So that gold or that silver that you have, you just say, look, instead of giving you a pound of silver right now, I'm going to give you this script that represents a pound of silver. When you go to the bank, they can give you the pound of silver if you want it, right? Yeah. So it, it takes the commodity out of day-to-day circulation and it replaces it with this currency. Yeah, so that's but, essentially... But, but at any given time, you can go to the bank and you can get the commodity, silver. right? Yeah. So. yeah, because back when it actually said on the dollar, this entitles you to a dollar worth of silver or a dollar worth of gold, you can literally go to the bank and, say, and turn it in for a thing of silver. It's weird because the thing about gold now is that like no one buys gold anymore. Like if you buy gold, they don't actually give you 
like if you buy a pound of gold, they don't actually give you a brick. They give you a claim on gold. So it's like another, it's a fiat currency for another fiat currency. I'm looking at old um, dollar bills and it would say, it would literally, it would be a bill and it would print, it would say $10 in gold coin. Oh, really? Or $10 in silver so, yeah. coin. To the bearer of this on demand, right? So just, yeah. it's essentially a traveler's check. I don't know, is that yeah. maybe the easiest way to put it? Okay, so you you also said earlier before the mics are hot. So you fast forward to the 19, to World War II, World War One, I, I think. 19 teens is when you really start to see the gold standard fall off. And yeah. I don't know if you guys know what happened then. Uh, what, hap- what could have possibly happened in the 19 teens? Uh, well, I'll tell you. It wasn't good. No one died. There was a flu, man. There was a flu. <laughs> there was no, a flu. So the, so the First World War. <laughs> the I think first it, World it's, War. It, we'll beat around the bush a little bit longer. No. Um, so the First World War happens, which I think is one of the funnier things because you have John Maynard Keynes who says at one point, he goes, oh, this war can't last very – when final, he was Secretary of the Exchequer. Yeah. He was presented with kind of the cost of the war for the first month and Britain was the wealthiest nation in the world. It was the empire. Yeah, they had London, everything. They, London they, was New York. You know, but, well, let's put it this way. It, it, took, it took less than four years for New York to become New York and London to become not New York. Yeah. And at some point he just said, oh, don't worry. This war can't last long. It's too expensive. No one can afford to. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the gold standard kind of went down the drain is because suddenly these nations went, just borrow, 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 debt, borrow, debt, borrow. Debt, yeah. I mean, let's put it this way. There are still debts being paid today on the First World War. Let's not even get to the Second World War. The Loans World from War. the First World War are still being paid. Some were only being finished in the 90s. Oh, no, there's still like billions and billions of dollars, maybe even trillions War's of dollars. War's expensive. Maybe even trillions of dollars still being paid off for World War well, I. Well, I think what um some Roman wit wrote it at some point um if you want if you want to win a war bankrupt your enemy first it's, yeah it's easy but anyways um, world war one happened so then you see, you see you see you see this this necessity for fiat script because you there's not enough gold to pay for everything well, you print money and you buy ammo yeah and food if you're you print money and you pay soldiers yeah right? no i mean and and so you think about it like so british empire was kind of in a in a better position than most because they owned South Africa, which had gold mines yeah, and diamond mines. mines. And yeah. they owned Australia, which has gold mines and diamond mines. Yeah. And they owned India, which has tea. Um, <laughs> so, no, but, but so they're in a position where they can actually try and mine their way out of debt. But at the same time, it's the whole world at this point has, has been borrowing. It's not just the British Empire. It's also the French Republic. It's also the Germany, <laughs> Prussia. You know, the Germans. Yeah. It's also. This, what's now the Soviet Union was still theoretically going to have to make good on the Ottoman the de- Empire. The de- is that what the they were called? Oh, the Ottoman. The Ottomans were breaking up now, but yeah, yeah. you. So that's well, Prussia, that's when you see the Prussia, which, Prussia is, which was the which was Germany, kind of Germany. I mean, the emperors there. You have the Habs- okay, so- you had the Habsburgs in Austria. You had the you had the Queen Victoria's what grandson. Yeah. Boy, was that a that's a fun one when you've got one family really just fighting itself. Yeah. Millions of people dying because one family can't get along. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be the last time. But uh, I mean, I think on the millions of lives thing, it's probably the first. But, okay, yeah. Okay, I saw, um, in body count, sure. And hopefully yeah. it is the last. But yeah, no, that's that's what you see. That, that's when you first see it because there's just not enough gold to to make good on, on all this debt, on all this borrowing, on all this spending. Yeah. And then you get to the 20s, so you start to see a resuscitation of the gold standard. And it then- is- so at one point, uh, you said all the other nations' currencies started pegging their currency to the that's US in the dollar. Seven, that's in the 70s. That's in the, that's okay, in the sorry. 50s okay, and 60s. Okay, I'll let you get there then. I, I'm yeah, rushing we'll, it. We'll get there. Yeah. So then we have, uh, we have the 20s, roaring good time. Absolutely. Just um, thriving economies. Comes yeah. to an end. But it's also, I mean, 
Talk about more leverage. It's like yeah, that no, meme. It's like you, that me- Austin Powers meme we saw. <laughs> <laughs> I do uh, liquidity. Thank you for liquidity that. That was lovely. That was absolutely phenomenal. no. So let me get to the the market crash. We have we have well, we have runaway inflation in parts of Europe, uh, Germany, and then wait, really? Yeah, I know wild stuff, right? Yeah, then no. we have the 30s, which is just of, depressing time, yeah. and that's when you start to see like you know it's not really a way for the. They're trying. So Britain's trying in the 20s to get back to the gold standard, but it's hard. It's very expensive because remember, a lot of debt. Yeah. Um, we get to the 30s, same thing. So why, now the whole so, world's in depression. I mean, how, how did that work for Great Britain when they try to get back to the gold standard? Um, because one I, of our LinkedIn friends did ask. Yes. And that's, I think if, if, we were, if we really want to look at it. So what happens in the post-World War I world is we see that during the First World War, the gold standard's not suspended. It's just ignored. And whenever, I don't know if you know this, but whenever someone just kind of ignores a standard, confidence in that standard falls. Goes away, yeah. Right? So so this causes, uh, obviously, people to not trust the gold standard. So then we, we get into the post-First World War world, and the gold standard doesn't, never really rematerializes. People don't trust it. So you see a, a flight from gold, and you see it to the U.S. dollar, you see it to the pound sterling. Because right? those are currencies you can look at, and you can say, no, this is based on an economy, this is based on an economy, these economies are good. And uh, things will be fine. Yeah. And then 1929. Whereas, whereas gold is just based on perception. Well, based right? on the idea that you've married your currency to this commodity. It's just, yeah. it's easier for me to have my wallet full of bills than it is for me to have a purse full of gold no, f- absolutely. for everyday yeah. business. So I guess we see, so then, then we have the stock market crash in 29. In 31, England suspends the gold standard, just period, it's gone. Yeah. So we see that it's, I think just the United States and what I'm looking at here, United States and France are the only two with major gold reserves after this point. Yeah. I can tell you that after the First World War, by the 1950s, 75% of the gold in the world was in the United States. After World War One, After World War II. Okay. So we get into the 50s and we can so say- why, what influenced that? Uh, I think we just took it. No, oh. um, so it makes sense. Well, it, it, it wasn't because people were pay, trying to pay off debts and like, hey, here's well, that, some gold. Yeah, some gold. So, but the gold standard was that essentially if you had a surplus of gold, uh, if you had a trade surplus, you just had go- gold was sent to you and you, you'd maintain that gold in your, like, so you would return scripts to the foreign country and say, look, this is all your currency that we have in our bank. Send us the gold. And they yeah. would send gold. So that's, that's the post-World War II where suddenly we just have all the gold. Yeah. So the gold standard really, it, it's kind of like a game of Monopoly at this point. So- well, I I mean, World War II was very profitable for the U.S., wasn't it? So was World War One. Yeah, exactly. Back to back, right? I mean, like World War II brought us out of it. Literally brought us out of the dirty thirties, but yeah, it, like it brought us out of the depression. We probably we were probably on our way. No, out we were, of it but anyway, yeah. boy, did it jumpstart things. Yeah. yeah. So now we have seventy percent of the gold. That makes other countries want to peg their currency to the U.S. dollar. So now we we're at we're in the post World War II world. A lot of Western economists get together to try and come up with a new. Uh, a new financial, a new economic, a new monetary system that'll, that, that, sure. would, that, would, that will facilitate and encourage a um, more international trade. So they want to find a way that makes it a lot easier for Italy and Germany to trade with each other, to trade with France, to trade with Britain, to trade with the United States, to train with each, trade with Egypt, to trade with South Africa. Yeah. Right? So they want all these places trading. And it's now concluded, rightly, that it's a lot easier to ship paper currency than gold yeah, or metal. Sense. Just in terms out. of, yeah. well, one, security. Two, the amount of space it takes up, and three, the amount of energy it requires to to actually do it. it. So the conclusion is, and it's the Bretton Woods Agreement that we now talk about, which is something that was kind of started in the late 40s, and it wasn't fully realized until the 1950s is when Uh it was really fully in place. 
and then it fails in 1971. Or Brit- it starts to fail in the early 1970s. The Bretton Woods Agreement, that's the all the other countries, like the World Bank. I, was, I think 44 countries were in it. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm willing to say the Soviet Union was, was this like not also in the, it. Was this like right around the establishment of like – because I'm trying to read it here. It's just like – so the IMF, IMF, the World Bank, all these things start to come in after the Second World War. Yeah, so the, the, all that gets established from the Bretton Woods Agreement, or not established. Uh, they weren't established of this. by that. They were they were just, established in the post World War II era to create a system to prevent like Weimar Republic inflation from happening again. Right. Yeah. I'll be honest. It was a, it was a, it was a wonderfully imperialist move by the United States to create this system that, for lack of better terms, put the United States at the very center of global. Financial uh, commerce or any commerce. Sort of, well, yeah. I mean, we already were de facto, but now it's de jure. Now it's and now it's we have international organizations that do all these things to make a more stable world to help spread capitalism against right now because we're now we're fighting the Cold War against communism. Yeah. So we have these these new agencies, these new uh, systems in place, and the best part is it's one that we can essentially uh, create. And send out into the world, but also take our hands off of, but we really know we're in control. Of yeah. it, right. So it's, it's so the conclusion of this Bretton Woods agreement. What happened? Was, so this, the, when, was this when 44 countries pegged their currency? Yeah. To, so these countries all pegged their currencies in various, so it wasn't one to one, It was, but they pegged their currencies not, in yeah. some relationship to the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar was pegged to gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. Yeah. Right. Which, so God, I'd love to buy gold for 35 bucks an ounce. Boy, right I'd yeah. yeah, I'd love to buy gold for $35 dollars an ounce right now and then just turn into the market and flood it. I'd drive yeah. the price right back down to thirty six dollars if, if I, I had that buy, kind of gold. Yeah, if I could buy gold thirty five futures, I don't know how futures work, but gold thirty five futures for thirty five bucks, I'd do it. You know? <laughs> yep. I'd surpass that strike price, if you will. I, I would I would certainly exercise those options. Yes. Exactly. So what happens in the early seventies is at some point, someone realizes and notices that there's actually more script out there in the world. There's more. There are more U.S. dollars out there in the world, and there is gold to back it. Okay, that well, that sounds incredibly familiar. But go on. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to. I'm not saying I want to blame Richard Milhouse Nixon, but I am saying he was in charge at the time. No, so that's just what we see. We I see. don't really. Th- I mean, I mean, how honestly, how, like, how direct was his influence on that? Probably. Oh, he he almost certainly was not in charge. But, okay, um, but eventually, yeah. We find out, and, and that's what's going on now. Like now, when you try to buy gold, like like I said earlier, at this point, the world is relying on the dollar, and the U.S. economy is still, let's be fair, in pretty good shape. Yeah. And yeah, Nixon just goes. I think it was let's see, August 1971. He I feel says like that's not a really Republican thing to do because like a lot of Republicans now just it's weird how many Republicans I've talked to that are like, yeah, bring back the gold standard, and I'm like, well, let's uh, let's think about that for a little bit. Yeah, so, but well, I guess it wasn't entirely Nixon's fault. It started in the late 60s. Under sure. his watch. what happened is these a lot of these okay. countries were starting to cash in their gold. Yeah. Oh, geez, yeah, that's our gold plays. Yeah, so it, it seems like even the world was looking, going like, ah, I'm not entirely convinced this is as legit as it seems. Now, this has nothing to do with the fact that we were fighting the war in Vietnam and yeah. the fact that maybe things weren't quite on the up of them. Yeah. So early 70s, gold standard disappears. 71. August of 71, gold standard disappears. All of a sudden, now the dollars that are being made from the treasury don't say- Maybe redeemed for gold. Or silver. It's- Full faith and credit of the United States. And it's a claim on debt. Yeah. Well, it's- It's a credit on debt. At this point, it's now just trust that the system is in fact functional. Yeah. So- 
are better off with with the Federal Reserve of and having guys make decisions on interest rates and how much money costs. Well, remember, this was all predicated on the idea that the price of gold was frozen at $35, that as a commodity, it wasn't increasing in value. Now, yeah, if, so if they wanted their gold, they, 35 bucks. 35 bucks for an ounce of gold, yeah. 300 how, bucks for yeah. 10 ounces, yeah. But also, I think, because, you know, there was, weren't there periods of hyperinflation? Not hyperinflation. Well, we really had, we had some, US. yeah, the economy has its ups and downs. Let's see, 35 times 16. It would have been $560 to get a pound of gold. So gold has increased fourfold since 1971, not adjusting for inflation, right? So the gold standard was probably not sustainable once gold became a very serious industrial input for electronics. Like like when people started using it, because it's so, I mean, because isn't it like a really good, it's a good conductor of electricity. Fantastic conductor. I have it on good authority. But it's just too expensive. So no one's going to wire here. You're still going to wire. You just use very, very small amounts. Yeah. That's buying a pound of gold. I mean, like a, a... it's well, and it's weird because like, you can stretch gold super thin and it's still incredibly durable. Yeah. It won't just snap on you. And if I only need a little, if I only need, you know, you know, a fraction of an ounce. I mean, like you can literally like, you know how like Bible pages are super thin. Yeah. Right. Like you can make gold thinner than that and it's still. Incredibly and it'll still do the job. Yeah. So a coating can be extremely thin. It can be, yeah. I mean, really it can be an atom thin. Yeah. And that's all you need. But like, it, it's kind of like diamonds there. If there's. You know, my view on diamonds is that jewelry grade diamonds are silly, yeah. but industrial diamonds, there's legitimate value there. So yeah. gold kind of, to me, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a metal that people like. It has medical reasons in that it, it body tends not to reject gold, yeah. but it also has industrial concerns. And the thing is you can't have something that you just sit and hand around to each other. Yeah. But at the same time, it's an industrial concern that you're like, well, it needs, I need it for uh, my car to make my car run. So I'm a catalytic man. converter. I need it to make my computer work. I need it to make cell phones how, work. Yeah. Can you imagine how sturdy our buildings would be if people thought of gold? Well, the problem like is steel. gold is still malleable. There's a re- if, you took a, if you took a gold coin and bit into it, it would, it would your teeth would imprint. So building I thought a, it had to be really hot. That, to mm-hmm. that was actually so you always see like those those movies where like a pirate will bite the coin. Yeah, it was because they were expecting to f- they f- they wanted to feel it bend because it tells you the purity of the gold. If it doesn't bend, then there's something there's some it's a it, then it's an alloy. Oh, okay, why well, didn't know that? Cool yeah. No, gold is very malleable. It does not it does not I hold. Just, I thought it had just had to be. I, I knew it was malleable. I didn't think it was. I thought it was just because make it like four thousand degrees and it's still there. You well, know, you can make still, anything 4,000 degrees and it'll, st- whatever you're talking about, aside from like paper and some other things that will burn, will still, like metals will still be there. They're just going to be in a molten form at that point. Yeah, exactly. But that's what I meant. Like gold is really malleable in that sense. It's easy to purify. Well, go- I mean, but gold is, it's, like I said, if I can bite into it and it forms, I wouldn't want a building made out of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Okay. So I, res- I rescind my previous statement about that. Thank you. I appreciate right, that. Now, yeah. Okay. So let's move on now. All, All right. right. Consider us moved. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it, so do you think we, we actually are better off now? Have you answered that question yet? I don't know. Yeah, I'd say I'd say we are. I, I, I think I'd say we are, too, because I like the idea of, of a central bank. I like the idea of having this monetary arm to keep inflation. I like see for me, it's more that like we don't have to. So like when we talk about money, we talk about the U.S. dollar and its ability to buy a good we're looking for. Uh-huh. But if we're linked to gold, if it's tied to gold and it doesn't work in the modern monetary system, it just it, it, it would not work. No. But you, someone's saying like, oh, yeah, what's that dollar worth? Oh, well, this dollar is worth blank gold. And it's and it's just it's just like it's adding an extra step between the good I want to buy and the unit I buy it with. It's like, oh, yeah, this these are my units of gold. Yeah. See, that makes a lot of sense. And like it's it's kind of like when you, know, you said earlier, it's like 44 countries pegged their currency to the U.S. 
U.S. dollar, or is it four to three pegged, whatever it is, the U.S. dollar, and then the U.S. dollar pegged to gold. It's like, why don't you just all peg to gold? And in some sense, like, you know, our currency is still pegged to gold. I feel like there's got to be a couple out there that are still pegged to gold. No, the death of the gold standard was 71. So no um, currency in the world is, is pegged to gold now? Uh, to my knowledge, no. Okay. Gold is now treated simply as the commodity that it is. Cool. That being said, uh, what we do historically, or what we have seen, is that when the dollar's weak, gold tends to go up in value. So... Is the U.S. dollar, and I'm sorry if I'm leaving out some blokes in the U.K. and Australia, but is the U.S. dollar pegged to any any commodity right now? The full faith and credit of the United States. That's It's based on the strength of the U.S. dollar is based on everyone in the world knowing that the United States government will make good on its debt. That's it. So we're just- and, and I'll be honest, after the failure to raise the debt ceiling, what, six years ago? It doesn't shock me that U.S. bonds have been down. We're downgraded. Like, yeah, the full faith, the Tea Party, the the Tea Party fucked with the full faith and credit part. And I think we're going to start seeing repercussions of that if things don't get better with coronavirus. So it's not actually a risk-free rate anymore. Oh, it's still treated as risk-free by the world, but but the ratings agencies did say. All right, dingo. Like, I don't know. It's it's like you got a bunch of kids. It's like when they're sitting on the side of the road playing on a slip and slide, everything's fine. But when they start running across the street and there's traffic, some point a kid's going to get hit. So someone's going to have to say, like, this isn't the safest game anymore. Yeah. Well, that sucks. Anyways, uh, we've been talking forever. We mm-hmm. really need to wrap up. If we left something out, please let us know. You know where to find us, at Drunkonomical on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can always send us a message on LinkedIn, because apparently that's the hot thing to do now. Also, just, yeah, that is that is it is the hot thing to do. Calm okay, down. Well, I'm just saying, I'm getting a lot of messages on LinkedIn. and f- I'm getting fewer and fewer messages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but I'm getting more and more on LinkedIn. Maybe it's because they just want to talk to you and they don't want to talk to me. Well, I mean, <laughs> I understand James might sound intimidating on this podcast. I think, I think the phrase we like to use is condescending. Well, I'm, let me tell you this. He is the least threatening person on the planet. <laughs> and I mean that with offense. So. <laughs> also, Max, uh, on Twitter, our bloke in England, I got to come up with a shot for you because that shot you made us take was absolutely disgusting. So, Oh, no, that was the... Um, blue Curacao. I forget what it was. It was a that blue was vile. I think there's gin involved. I want you to know I spent, disgusting. I spent two days after that drinking to try and forget that I'd done that to myself. Yeah, exactly. Talk about a hangover. All right. Well, I'm not even that. Yeah. I just want to forget what it tasted like. Yeah. Um, that's us on social media. If you like our content a lot and want to donate to us for no reason whatsoever. Except the monthly Discord Q&A, which I think we'll start in September. How about that? Yes. We'll start in September. Uh, let's do October. Team for October. Start in October. Team for October. I got to get established in Texas. That's true. Yeah, you're in that turned on. So we're going to try to get that going. If you want to help us out um, any way possible, Patreon, patreon.com slash Drunkenomics, D-R-U-N-K-U-N-O-M-I-C-S. That's us on Patreon. We have a couple patrons whom I love very much. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Sam, thank you, guys. Sam, if you ever come to the States, you know, one of us will be in Texas. One of us will be in Nebraska. Let us I know. I know you should visit Texas. It's just more fun there. Yeah, well, I mean, wait till I, like, know where things are in Texas and then come visit. But, yeah, um, I don't know. Hope you guys are all playing chestnut checkers. Stop bragging. Those of you sure. who were playing along tonight, I know we left a few in there for you. So yeah. I think I kept a, a, a small count for myself. I think it was six. So you're welcome. And I don't know how many uh, shots I made you guys take. But anyways, do we have anything else to say? I keep forgetting like all the things you have to say. And I suck mm. at grinding out these podcasts. Well, you know what the gold standard really is? It's staying drunk and my friends. Absolutely. Cheers. <laughs>